Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. And as always, broadcasting, well, as always, it's like people saying that Star Wars has always been released at Christmas. It's not always been this way, but we're still re- you know, broadcasting from all points in the, the greater New Orleans metropolitan area. Uh, I'm Aaron. I'm in Gentilly. Joining me as always is Dave. He's uptown. Hi. And Fredo, he is out in the Metries. Hello, in the deepest, dark, darkest hearts of Metri. Yes. Deep in the heart of Metri. You know, I actually, I actually went there. I was presenting at a um, conference in Texas, in San Antonio, and I started off the my whole presentation with the stars at night are big and bright, and then of course everybody clapped. So yeah, we're all we're all Pavlov. Just you know, he. He well, knew what he was talking about. I forget the comedian. There was once a comedian that was talking about how in the middle of an argument with his girlfriend, the theme song to DuckTales would pop in his head. And everybody started laughing at that at the end. He got kind of got to the DuckTales and the whole crowd went, woo And he went, and I believe that's what Pavlo was talking about. <laughs> so well, so in the in the background, you hear Dave's kids uh, playing. What'd you say? They're playing Mario Kart right now. Mario Kart sixty four. Yeah. So uh, I mean, big news in my life. I, my quest has finally come to a completion. At the beginning of this whole pandemic, I was like, you know what? I, I think we may have talked about it on this podcast. I said, you know, I, I was playing my Xbox, and it was like I tried to play Force Unleashed again, and as I'm killing Wookies, I was just like, ugh, this is. I know I need some Nintendo in my life, because I need I need some of that just, you know, escapism. I don't I don't need to be killing Wookies, you know. And so I was like, I should get a Switch. You know, I have a friend that has a Switch, and and then of course it was like g- good time to try to find a Switch, Aaron, because it's like trying to find water in the Sahara Desert. You know, it was just, I mean, it, nowhere to be found unless you go on Walmart. And want to spend like five hundred fifty dollars for a switch that costs about half that much. So I was like, no. But anyway, so finally, on um, after, yeah, you know, I've been checking the Target app over and over again, and many fruitless, you know, trips from Gentilly out to the Metairie Target and back. And with when the app says that there are switches there, and you need to get there, they're not there. Um, and I finally yelled at like, uh, like I said, a couple of high school college age kids on Friday night because they're trying to tell me how this thing works. And it's like, no, no system updates your inventory when you don't have that truck. The truck comes in, you scan stuff, then you're, you know, it, anyway, I, I won't get into that. I'm have to start drinking mm-hmm. my beer. Um, but anyway, then on Saturday they said Kenner had limited availability and I went out and they had switches everywhere. And we were actually, if you follow our follow us on Twitter, Dave and I were letting everybody know that there were switches to be had in Kenner. So, uh, yeah, so I've been playing uh, Mario Odyssey and Mario Kart Eight and a lot of Super Nintendo. So that's what I've that's what I've been doing. That's been my escape. Um, and like I said, playing Donkey Kong on a sixty inch TV. Uh, but my wife did say, "Oh, I guess we don't have to get an arcade version then, huh?" I'm like, <laughs> no, "No, no, that's no. not the case. Still, well, <laughs> still want an actual arcade cabinet, yeah." So it's missing a level, you see, <laughs> right? There's your there's your argument. No, the levels are there. It's just not the same. It's I mean, the levels are in different order, actually. 
Mm. Well, I thought it was the NES version, and the NES version is actually missing a level, right? No, I mean you still get the you still get the um, you know the the first level, and then you get the um, you get the elevators, and you get the the blue level where you have to take the pegs out. Then you still get the conveyor belts at some point, um, but they're just like I said, they're out of order. It's just huh. it's all goofy. Um, but anyway, I don't care. I get to play Donkey Kong, so I'm I'm happy. Uh, so that was uh, that was my weekend. Uh, what about you guys? What are you doing to keep keep yourselves uh, sane and happy yeah but uh for me i've been uh watching the mission impossible movies for some reason um, <laughs> for some reason it's like dave's yeah. losing his mind we need to have an intervention all right well i am losing my mind i feel like i'm feeling my i've been feeling my age all week i've been like forgetting things and stumbling into things but uh yeah, I guess part of part of the onset of old age is watching Mission Impossible movies. I have to tell you guys, you guys have ruined me because now my go-to on Disney Plus is watching Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah, Just, it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna be like that for like another decade. So yeah. just so you know, until you get tired of love uh, watching them, and they go until you can recite them, and they go, no, no, I don't need to see this no more. Yeah, so, that, that's pretty much how that goes. So yeah. Mission, Mission Impossible. All right. I don't know if I got past Mission Impossible 2. Okay. So there's your problem right there. Mission yeah. Impossible 2 is the worst of the bunch. Well, that's probably why I didn't get past it. Yeah. Um, the first yeah. one was, was fun. The first one was great. Yeah. And there's only so much Tom Cruise I can deal with. So catch. Okay. So three is okay. But definitely if you catch four, five, and six, because they're kind of forming their own mini trilogy. There are so six of them. Oh, yes. so, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, Aaron's out of the loop here. I didn't realize there were six Mission Impossibles. Wow. Yep. Yep. Four is the one where he's hanging up the uh, of the side of the Burj Khalifa. Five is the one where uh, he's hanging on the side of the plane. So and does anybody anybody have a podcast on Mission Impossible movies? Then <laughs> no, but we might need to do that after you do the homework. Yeah. No. No. That's Get you right. to do the uh, Mission Impossible homework. No. Four, five, and six are. Great. I mean, they're 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 really good. This this is series is kind of like now. I don't I don't have personal experience with Fast and Furious, um, but I've heard that it improved with age too. It got sillier, and, and it basically it's interesting. If you yeah. ever saw the first Fast and Furious movie, it is totally hundred percent. Well, not totally. It's it's a sort of kind of grounded in some semblance of the planet Earth that we exist in. Yeah. By the time you get to the latter movies, five and onwards on that series of the Fast and Furious series, they have left planet Earth. By by this movie, by the last movie, they are literally superheroes. I think part of it is in their contract. It's written. There's a clause written that says none of them can lose a fight. So, <laughs> so it's like wait a minute. And the thing, and the, the whole thing devolves. I mean, it's look. You can't take it seriously because if you take it seriously, it falls apart. But if you take it as just a greasy cheeseburger that you're having late at night, they can be enjoyed that way. I think Mission Sorry. Impossible is is at a slightly higher standard, um, but but you know, no less entertaining. Uh, right on. It's good stuff. So, Fredo, what are you doing to keep yourself entertained? Oh, I've not done much this week, if I'm honest, to keep myself entertained. Slept a lot because I've been doing a virtual virtual conference this week. 
So uh, Sunday I had to uh, uh, to do a presentation in Spanish, which meant, okay, so since you're live virtually, uh, you, I did what I call the mullet outfit, which is business up top and party down below. So uh, <laughs> presentable for so the camera. Fredo was not wearing pants in this uh, presentation I, if you were I, in. I didn't, no, no, I did not say I porky picked it, no. Uh, <laughs> Porky Pig did. <laughs> you know, I was wearing shorts. Or or Donald ducked it. Yeah. Or Donald ducked it. You know. You know. Warner Brothers. Did. Actually, the Porky the Porky Pig one's better though. But I will say though, because I did do that. So uh, HBO Max has uh, because they have all the Warner Brothers library. They have every classic Looney Tunes. I've seen episode. that. Yeah. So I've been gorging on those. So, so Elkamuk, Barbara Seville. All right. So it's all in there. So when I was when I was teaching band, um, one of the pieces I played with my with my top band one year was um, a transcription of Morning, Noon, and Night in Vienna, mm -hmm. which there is a whole Bugs Bunny episode. And so when you're bringing classical music to high school age kids, that's a tough sell. So the first thing I did was like, we're gonna watch Bugs Bunny. And, you know, it's the one where Bugs Bunny's got the harp and he's shooting arrows, you know, at the harp. I mean, it's that whole thing. And he's trying to kill the fly with the timpani mallets at the morning, noon, night in Vienna. And, you know, um, and the kids just sucked into it right away. So that's that's one of my favorites. But, yeah, I got I to gotta watch some of those. Um, it's, it's, it's incredible to think how much classical uh, education is kicked into those you know, five-minute episodes, you know, music, uh, literature, you know, all the characters, just the way that they devised it. It was a real, it's a weird way to get kids educated, but they did it. Because you never have to need to have heard any opera, but you understand opera if you've seen Bugs Bunny. And, of course, today is a great day of celebration. It made, you know, after it, it was, I saw it on Twitter, like one of the first things, today is National IPA Day. So as we're recording this, and I don't care if it's true or not. I saw that Abita, you know, threw out the hashtag. So it's National IPA Day for me. So um, that's what I am drinking right now. I got an IPA um, as we record this podcast. Dave, are you IPA as well? Yes. So, all right. So virtual clink. And Fredo, Fredo's probably Fredo, drinking Budweiser. Fredo, yeah, Fredo's not, you know, Fredo's drinking an urban South Divin or something else. Uh, because he didn't get, he forgot to pick up an IPA. I actually probably need to go do that to you know, make a run and pick up some IPA. That's all right. That's all right. So, um, well, cool. All right. Well, I'm glad you guys are all keeping, keeping sane and, and staying healthy and everything. And, uh, let's as always move on to our trivia for the night. And let's see here. I'll start with Dave. Ooh. Whose shuttle, whose shuttle uses code clearance blue to land inside the second Death Star? Whose shuttle uses code clearance blue to lad, land inside the second Death Star? I think it's Darth Vader. It is Darth Vader. Good job, good job, good job. Is when the emperor arrives, I don't remember them saying anything. I really, I'm technical about not, it. Not to get, not to give away our, you know, what, you know, our list or anything. I really like the start of Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, just it's, uh, I don't know. It was, 
it was I just one of my one of my favorite starts to a Star Wars movie, you know, except for A New Hope. All right, so uh, Fredo, mm-hmm. I didn't read that. I just first one I saw. Um, who warns? If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. For the love of all that's holy. So. Uh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can I phone a friend? Can I fifty-fifty this? Uh, Obi Wan, Ben Kenobi. It is Obi Wan Kenobi. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> here is mine. What molten alloy is flash frozen to make gas containers in Cloud City? Oh, no, that's interesting. So I, I'm going to say the, I'm going to say what my answer is, and then I'm going to say what I I have a feeling it might be. But my answer is going to be carbonite. It is carbonite, but I for a minute there I thought tabana. That's what I thought. Uh, so I was doubting myself for a second. The Tabana gas mines. You know, I was watching Solo recently, and I love the line where Lando says, "Mining colonies are the worst." And I wonder how many how many people that line was lost on. You know, mm-hmm. not not Uber Star Wars nerds, but I mean, it's like you know, then Lando ends up running a gas mine. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, well, cool. Well, there's our trivia. Hopefully, yeah, those weren't those weren't too bad. Dave had the toughest one. Yeah, Dave had the toughest one. Fredo got like, you know, are you smarter <laughs> smarter than a fifth grader? Star Wars question. I got the Star Wars one hundred and one. So, uh, so before we get into the news, uh, heard somebody. I can't remember which podcast it was. I was listening to, but they made a joke. Actually, it was a Resistance broadcast. Um, they said over oh, on Star Wars Newsnet. They said, so do you think, you know, because they're talking about the rumors like we were talking about last week of uh, Darth Maul, you know, coming back to a Disney Plus show. Do you think they will retcon his death once again? Which, do you mean his death from episode one? No, his, his retcon is, well, you know, they oh. retcon his death from Rebels when Obi-Wan, right. you know, slices him down. I mean, Obi-Wan actually sliced him down not as bad as he did in Phantom Menace and he came back. So it's like if we want to see him maybe in The Mandalorian, you know, do we uh, maybe Darth Maul wasn't really dead? You know what I've thought about <laughs> with that has been not that they would retcon it because they don't. I mean, they could. They're not going to say that that happened and that he somehow survived it. I did. did that's I would rule that out with absolute certainty um but i have thought about that particular sequence because even as perfect as it is and it is perfect it you know it ends his character and you can't do anything with maul after that and and i've thought would they want to film a version of that scene in live action or rewrite that scene so to speak and give them all a different ending i i can understand the impulse to do those things see, I, I don't see how i don't think you can get away with doing that scene in live action because if you have anybody else but alec guinness be obi-wan kenobi at that point in time it ain't gonna work uh because it's it's you know the way i, I just no i just i just don't think it would work i think they should let him i, I was just saying i thought it was funny it was like, are they going to retcon it again? Because they did. I mean, come on. You know, at the end of Phantom Man, he was sliced in half for the love of all that's holy. You know, it's- and that's and that is why George sliced him in half because he's like, you wanted to make it clear that he was dead, and yet somehow Dave Filoni found a way no, to bring it him back. George's idea to bring him back it wasn't Filoni's <laughs> idea. It was George's. I mean, 
But he's the guy who came up with the idea of, no, no, slice him in half, and you see the two pieces, he's dead. Because he knows, oh, he fell down a shaft. No, no, he might have survived that. So, and he still survived it. So anyway. Anyway, no, I just I thought it was funny. I don't think I don't think they will retcon that at all. They've got plenty of places, you know, that they can continue the mall story and tell other vignettes without, you know, going through that madness again. So, anyway, um, I just thought it was kind of funny. Uh, so, uh, Fredo, we've got uh, some. After all the news we had last week, we still have news this well, week. Kind of news don't yeah news don't stop don't quit but uh there's a few actually that tie to stuff that happened last week but i'll just start briefly by uh offering condolences for the passing of uh, actor wilford brimley who passed away over the weekend at age 85. for those of you who probably have never seen it he was in a star wars movie he was in the ewoks battle for endor movie as uh noah brickallen the hermit that lives on endor who had diabetes? Oh, sorry. Exactly. Well, well, that's well, that's what's interesting. He was, you know, he was big. You know, he was in Cocoon and The Thing. But I think for everybody age twenty five and younger, he's best known as the diabetes guy and um, the diabetes meme. Actually, that one of my favorite roles of his is what he what he played in the movie My Fellow Americans. Mm -hmm. You seen that movie? Is with uh, Jack Lemmon and um, oh, James Garner. No, James Garner, and their two former presidents. Oh, that's such a, yeah. that's a hilarious movie. If you just want to laugh your butt off for ninety minutes, that's the one to watch. So I really enjoyed him in the firm. Yeah, he was creepy in the firm. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my favorites. Uh, he's creeping the thing, which I love the thing, and then of course the natural, which you know if yeah. you if you love baseball, like the natural's like you know top ten movie. But anyway, you know. And passed away at age 85. Uh, moving along to uh, discussing. So, uh, okay, so the other bit of news before I get to stuff last week. Uh, it was announced last week by Del Rey Star Wars that they are moving the Mandalorian novel to fall 2021. They haven't specified a date. They do have, you know, obviously they have the new um, uh, the Jedi High, you know, High Order books coming out. They didn't give a reason, but it's interesting that they had this whole Mandalorian series of books that they're about to come out and release, you know, but they all got kicked off the next year. So now was, sure this a, was this a retelling of the first season or was it like uh, extra stories, like extra side stories? Do we supposed, know? To be, supposed to be like a whole new novel. It's a, well, it's tie, it ties into the show, but I don't think it's supposed to be retelling the same stuff that we've seen. But it's interesting. They just kicked it down a whole year. You know, it's, it's supposed to come out fall this year. They're kicking it down to fall 2021. It'll be interesting to see how they uh, how they give Baby Yoda quote unquote dialogue, because you know, it's I mean, it's there was there was interaction between the two of them, even though no words were spoken. But you know, that doesn't you can do that on film, but you can't do that in the book without you know getting into his thoughts and then how they phrase it do, do they phrase it like yoda speak you know or is it just like <laughs> well, normal you know cadence i would be interested what point of view the book has because you could you imagine if it's from the point of view of din jaren because that'd be the easiest way to fill the manuscript to put it put you in his head and his thoughts 
because he's not a very verbose character. Yeah. But yeah, so they're so they're delaying that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. We can speculate as to what that means, but uh, I think everything in this world is being delayed. So I don't think we should be surprised. Yeah. Okay, moving along right quick. Uh, they asked uh, Ron Howard was doing an interview on Sirius XM, and he was asked about the topic of a possible solo sequel, whether it's as a movie or as a Disney Plus project. Um, solo. His quote was, well, there's no sequel plan now, and it's amazing to be a part of a Star Wars movie that seems to be kind of an underground hit, which is not what you'd expect. But that's been an odd, strange journey for this movie. Okay, so... With this story, I'm sorry, I'm just a chime. That, that's like asking Greg Williams and you know what the Saints defense is going to look like this year. Mm -hmm. You know what? What does Ron Howard have to do with anything? Why are you? I mean, yeah, he came in and he, you know, he pinched it for he pinched it for you know for Lucasfilm and you know to get this Lord movie out. And so, why are we asking him if there are is there a solo sequel? I mean, does he does he get is this is he like an ex president that gets you know daily briefings on you know Lucasfilm's you know happenings? I, I'm sorry, I, I just think mm -hmm. I don't I don't know why this story. I, I understand why it's an interesting story, but I don't know why we're like it's getting so much like traction because it's not like it's not like he's an exec at Lucasfilm. I mean, he's a he's a contract worker. You hire him to do a movie. And then you might hire now his answer might be like nobody's hired me to do a, another solo movie you know mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be more solo stories i don't know i'm just kind of it's national ipa day i'm get off my lawn right now so i agree i agree with asking him the question mm -hmm. because if i were uh, alone in a room or i had five minutes with ron howard and i was talking to him about whatever topic I'd want to talk to him about Solo. So, like, on that basis alone, I'm fine with it being brought up. And you can also speculate his daughter's still involved with Lucasfilm. Very much so. Um, he's good friends with George. Um, you know, there there's certain connections there where it's not, like, out of the realm of possibility that he might be plugged in and, and know certain things. You'd never expect him to reveal anything either out of turn. Um, but you kind of have to ask the question if you're in the position of being a journalist. Well, that's the funny thing is that you figure that if he was actively involved in something, his response would have been more caged, would have been more reserved, would have been more like Taika Waititi last week where he's like, yeah, we're writing it and try to put a button on it because you can't say another word about it. Not well, you know, we might, we might not, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, but I mean, the, but this is, I don't, I, I, I get your point. Like, I see where you're coming at, but it's like yeah. you know, I work, I worked for Google for two and a half years. I don't work for Google anymore, and that's like somebody coming up and asking me, you know, what's Google going to release in, you know, in 2021. I, 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 I have no idea. Now, if if you would have asked me, you know, in 2017. You know what's Google going to release in 2018? I had all sorts of information I could give you. I I wasn't allowed to, but now it's like I don't have a clue. You know, so that's my point. Is like, yes, I understand asking Ron Howard about Solo, but it's like 
why it's not like he is the the keeper of you know, like he has this yeah and, and I'm I'm really sorry but getting back to my Google analogy it's like even if Bryce Dallas Howard knows she's under NDA not to tell even her father what's going on in this project now we all know you know and you wipe your butt with NDAs all you want people still like leak things but she, I mean so I'm, I'm I just don't understand why this is getting like everybody's like okay nothing solo is going on because oh, Ron Howard because Opie Cunningham said it's not going to happen I mean well, I wonder I do wonder if maybe in the contract he signed when he came into pinch hit to finish up for uh, Lord and Miller if there is a right of first refusal for him to direct solo too. But do you really think that I was just thinking this, we were talking about this. Do you really think that he is on the short list for Lucasfilm to do an innovative new star Wars project? He was, he was, we need somebody to get this done. He's a closer. He's safe. It's like, because they, they rolled the dice on Lord and Miller and that went South for whatever reason. And I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of prognosticating here a little bit as well. Don't be surprised if, you know, maybe I don't know if Taika Waititi is going to go south when they, you know, the whole Thor Ragnarok thing, and we don't have to get into that. But I'm just saying, I don't think that Ron Howard is one of those that they're like, yeah, that's who we got to get to do a Star Wars movie. But but I guess what I'm saying is maybe he to put it in like kind of like NFL football saying terms. Uh, I get maybe, you. Maybe he has a player option. Right. If you, want, has, if you want me to do this, I'm going to sweeten my pot well, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You got to at least give me the right to come in and take a look at what you're planning if you decide to make a, you know, since he didn't get a right. chance to make a full movie, they may have said, look, come in. If we decide to ever make a sequel, we'll pitch it to you. If you're not interested, you can pass on. But then, because that was the, the sweetener to kind of get it to come on and, you know, shepherd the project to the finish line. I'd but, say if you're, if you're a journalist, you have to ask him the question. And if you're Ron Howard, you have to play coy. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for, for any blogger type to mm -hmm. take either of those facts and like extrapolate them into anything about the legitimacy of a future project is silly. But, but for him to be so definitive as uh, there's no sequel. Well, no, I think it's said right now, right? right? Right now. Right. You know, there's nothing in the works right now, but then again, like, like, like you were saying, that doesn't mean that maybe a script hasn't been commissioned. Doesn't mean that somebody's taking a look at it. It's just he hasn't landed at his desk. Now, how involved he would be before that? I mean, if you're thinking of him as a god to just kind of bring it all together at the end, maybe you don't bring him in until you have something concrete. Like, like we were saying last week, there's a lot of ephemeral, ephemeral, you know, in the side guys kind of mindset about uh, a solo. Darth Maul underworld project that there's pieces out there floating, but we don't know if there's nothing concrete yet. Now you know who you know who would be good to direct a, another solo movie, and mm -hmm. that is Taika Watiti. <laughs> as I'm thinking about this, as we're talking about, because you know Han Solo has humor in him. You know you got the Chewbacca. You know they they've got some banter going on. I think actually he would be ideal for for that, you know. And it could very well be that, that making. I mean, that's just it. We can't be told until, that, you know, all of this, you know, in the absence of hard evidence, all we left is speculation with Lucasfilm. And that's what I still get back to. It's like, come on, Lucasfilm, just say, these are the <laughs> movies we're going to do. 
but then again, I guess maybe it's just like as much as long as you keep your cards to the vest, then you have everybody talking about it. So but, anyway, all right. Well, I'm so I'll I'll quit. No, no, but actually, you over Opie. No, so. <laughs> that's the play off of it because it goes to something you were saying, and this isn't uh, Star Wars related, but it is Disney related. Uh, Disney Marvel has just tagged Nia DaCosta, who is making the Candy excuse me, the Candyman remake for uh, Jordan Peele's production company. She's now going to be directing the sequel to Captain Marvel. Now, officially, they haven't announced it, but that is. Uh, believe it was deadline to broke the story and they were saying she's been tapped to be the new director because the original two directors, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, uh, are not going to come back and direct Captain Marvel 2. So they're bringing her in to take over, which is an, I mean, it's interesting because we're here, we're discussing they let Lord and Miller go, they brought in OP. So there's, a, there's no guarantee that that means he would get Solo 2, just because he made Solo 1. Because here, Captain Marvel 2 is being made by people, by somebody who didn't have anything to do with Captain Marvel 1. Yeah, no, I just I, I just think, you know, this story, um, it, it's really cool to see, you know, I think about, uh, you know, Wonder Woman, uh, who is the director. Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins. Know, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think about, um, it, it's just, you're seeing so many, director directors are not just a bunch of white guys anymore mm -hmm. um and that just matters so much and i think about you know um yeah i mean just you know it, it really matters to see women and people of color you know behind the camera and say you know you this is something that you know it's not just for white people um i just thought it was a really great representation moment um and uh, especially, you know, in sci-fi as well, you know, and, and superhero movies. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Let yeah, you, I, you know, I Marvel built to this point. Um, but didn't also, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, didn't, didn't Brie Larson, uh, didn't, part, didn't she, like, have some stipulations that if you want me to do another movie, then these are the things that have to happen? And I think this was one of them. Not sure if she did, but I wouldn't be put it this way. It would not surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me because she's very vocally progressive and she wants uh, the production. Of, I mean, she's got more of a presence and ability to demand stuff ever since she won an Academy Award. We know it gives her some pull, so she's trying to use that as a as a force for good in her own way. Yeah, I, I know that that's true for sure, and I know that she's won certain. Uh, concessions as a result of that um, but I, I did want to say too though that I like um, this was something that that came about over time and I people would argue like why did it take 25 movies you know like that kind of thing um, and I think that's a valid viewpoint and it, it's you extrapolate it over to Star Wars and we're in a similar situation where it's like, it feels like they're building to that point, but they have not given a feature film to, you know, a, a female director at this point, let alone a, um, a person of color. So, um, yeah, isn't Deborah Chow going to be the first one to helm a Star Wars project of any kind of that level? 
Yeah, I believe so. She'll she'll be the showrunner for Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like the Lucasfilms always treated the feature films at like a different plateau. You know, like that's the top thing that gets first dibs on everything. Um, And then everything else comes under that. And so they've still yet to let anyone break into that top tier. But you, I mean, to your point, they're, they're taking steps. If Deborah Chow does great with Kenobi, I'm sure they wouldn't have any objections to handing her a film at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then just, it's interesting because, uh, they're in, from the story, they say that even though the budget is unknown, it's sure to be the biggest budgeted tentpole movie directed by a black female director since uh, Ava DuVernay directed Disney's A Wrinkle in Time, which was about $115 million budget, which you figure Captain Marvel 2 is going to have probably $200 million. I mean, these are big productions. They're not, they're not cheap. They're not simple. They are, you know, Disney puts his money where its mouth is for Marvel, so... You got to figure. Okay, they they have a lot of trust in in Mia's talent and what she can bring to this project. Okay, so moving right along, next story. Uh, and speaking about further representation, we got to congratulate uh, Star Wars Doctor Aphra, uh, comic book series, uh, just won out the outstanding comic book award at the Glad Media Awards uh, last week. So, for those of you who may not know, Doctor Aphra is a comic book series per published under Marvels. Uh, Star Wars imprint, uh, following the digital character Dr. Kelly Afra. Regarding, yeah, it's uh, kind of like the uh, Star Wars Indiana Jones, from what I have understood. But what's, yeah. but what's interesting is she's kind of a darker Indiana Jones because she's working. She starts the series working under Darth Vader. You know, as Darth Vader's going through the Empire, trying to unearth all these old Republic and Jedi uh, legends and you know artifacts and whatnot. It's her that's doing it. And then at some point, you know, of course, she's so she's threading the line even closer towards the dark side than Indiana Jones ever did. But uh, so she's an interesting character. Um, and uh, so you said Glad Award, huh? Glad Award, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you know they're they're getting um, representation, they're getting uh, you know writers and artists that can put this into a Marvel-produced Star Wars-titled comic book series, and people are supporting it and loving it and going after it. So, again, it tells you that, number one, representation matters, but number two, people are ready to support stuff that shows well, them. You know, we think we think about, you know, the the conversation we had with Brittany Williams, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, she said, you know, it didn't seem like Star Wars was – you know, something that she, you know, she had a friend that said, you can't be Princess, you know, Leia. Princess Leia because you, you know, you're not white. And I mean, I, honestly, uh, growing up, I, I mean, there was, there was a time where I was like, you know, why is it such a big deal to have, you know, the lead character be, you know, make sure that they are, you know, a person of color or why do they have to be gay? Why? And, it was like, well, you know, yeah, duh, because, you know, I always felt comfortable in every TV show, every book, every comic book, everything that I, because it made sense to me. I saw myself in all of those roles, had no problem, um, you know, and that was just being young and ignorant, you know, um, 
And so it, it does matter the, the earlier that, you know, to put those things in a comic book, to put those things in, you know, a book so that, you know, kids who are, you know, struggling with, you know, who they are and what they were, you know, and how they were born, you know, it's, it's important for them to, to be able to see themselves in those roles just like I did. And so I'm glad that Star Wars is finally doing that. You know, I think the first time we really saw it was in Rise of Skywalker when, you know, the two, uh, the two characters kiss at the, at the very end. I mean, that was really the first, you know, overt um, thing we've seen in Star Wars. But, and, uh, even, and even that was kind of like a quick cut. That wasn't even like, right. like the big hero moment that you would expect, let's say, Finn and Rey or, you know. Oh, and Rose or whoever would have gotten. So, I so like I said, I think that I think that's awesome. I'm glad that Star Wars is doing that. Okay, so jumping into this, I know last week I hit you with some quotes from Giancarlo Esposito regarding Moff Gideon. So, from a further interview, they asked him about the dark saber. So I'll just right quickly mention his quotes. You'll see more of the dark saber. You'll get the explanation of this ancient weapon to the modern world, a collapsed world. Where did the saber come from and how was it revived? It's a key in our second season, which will be back sooner than later. Then asked further later on down, they asked, he says, the saber is a key to Moff Gideon's past, which possibly has a lot to do with where he comes from and his desire to build a planet and bring it back together. A uh, hundred bucks says, dude, homeboy is a Mandalorian. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I kept thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, build a planet back together. <laughs> well, and you're gonna have so you're gonna have this. You know, it just sets up the struggle for, you know, who's going to be Mandalore, you know, and there's so it's gonna be that battle between Din and Moff Gideon, um, and of course, you know, Rebels had all sorts of. Uh, you know, Mandalorians who were loyal to the Empire and things. So, but uh, man, I, I I couldn't believe how much he let out of the barn in that quote. Mm -hmm. I mean, let me uh, let me just again. Okay, so number one, you'll see more of it. You're gonna get an explanation, a you know, to this, uh, this ancient weapon to the modern world, a collapsed world. So we're do we get to see the siege of another fall of Mandalore, the night of the thousand tears? Uh, where did the saber come from? Well, we know that. How was it revived? You know, the la again, last time we saw the dark saber before it's in his hands, it's in the hands of Bo-Katan. Yeah. And remember, That's there's there's rumors of Katie Sackhoff going to be in season two. Right. I, I love the fact that it says it's a key to our second season. So if he's a Mandalorian, it, the idea of him versus Din becomes the central arc of the season. That that reporter like got a gold mine in that <laughs> in that interview. He's it's like here, have some whiskey, John Carlos. You know, he got the opposite of the Ron Howard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but like his his original quote was slightly um, confusing though because he spoke of something that was factually slightly inaccurate. I can't even remember the nature of what exactly that he said, but it was something um, that it was like, 
Well, that's not quite right. There's something about being uh, the the offspring of Darth Vader, I think, or something like that. Oh, yeah, like descended yeah. from Darth Vader. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. yeah, like you're technically not. So it's like, are you speaking metaphorically? If you're speaking metaphorically about this, maybe you're speaking metaphorically about other things. Um, but yeah, I mean, like on the surface, it's, it's some really cool information to have because I, I think we're going deeper in the Mandalore. I mean, I love the idea that he says that, that the Darksaber is the key to his past and it has a lot, which possibly has a lot to do where he comes from. So we're going to explore more of his character in season two, which is what you would expect. You would imagine that, which again, he's, he was the force behind capturing baby Yoda. So how does Baby Yoda now tie into it? So this is a Mandalorian versus Mandalorian beef. How does Baby Yoda tie into the middle of all that? Oh, but he's also loyal to the Empire. And at that point, you know, if especially, I think you could link into, you know, a, um, a final order type of deal. You know, the Palpatine's, you know, minions, they're, they know that there's this, like, little Yoda running around that they could, you know, use to give... Palpatine is his self back, um, you know. So I, I think there's going to be a, you know, there's going to be two methods to his madness. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I was like, <laughs> somebody on the somebody on their publicity team had to just go, oh crap, <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> so I don't know. It's uh, it was it was just funny. So. It was. Okay, so last bit of news, and this one's uh, going back to the discussion we had last week about uh, Savvy's Workshop and how it was on legacy lightsabers as opposed to uh, the build the lightsaber experience and all, you know, we, we suggested that it was related to the pandemic, and it is in a way, but there's also a further story related to a uh, dispute between Actors' Equity Actors Equity Disney and Disney World, which basically what it boils down to is uh, there's a fight between the, the Actors Union, which is called Actors Equity Association, which represents the cast members that take part in the, the Savvy's Workshop experience. Well, they do Savvy's Workshop experience, they do uh, the Indiana Jones uh, special effects uh, experience they do a number of experiences throughout disney world and they're having a fight not necessarily well they are having a fight with themselves in disney world regarding safety protocols during the time of the pandemic pay and everything because well, the problem is, is huh? i'm sorry go finish up no no because no, yeah because the issue is actors equity doesn't just represent them at disney world they're a union that also represents the actors that have taken part in the disney place on broadway so, so they're having to feature two different states' laws into one sausage. But the thing, the thing that's really interesting here is that first of all, when reading this, is like first of all, Disney does not own the quote-unquote story or whatever that production is of that happens in Savvy's workshop, which I find very interesting. Well, at least, at, at least in Orlando, like in california from what i understand it's just your normal everyday cast members it's like right. hey you've been working the hot dog stand now you're going to work in savvy's workshop and they do the whole thing there so they're not having this issue in california but in florida it's like the highfalutin um like Can be. actors union you know that's yeah. like you know that 
And so I, so I'm sitting there scratching as I literally scratching my head right now going, well then why the hell don't you just do the, I, you know, I'm pro union by the way, very pro union, but at the same time, I'm like, well, why do, why do we have the discrepancies between, you know, Disneyland and Disney world? Why is this an issue here and not here? So I don't know. It's so let me just, let me just read the right story. I'm taking this from edge of the galaxy uh, story. They said, the key here is Kenby, the leader of the Savage Workshop experience. At Disneyland California, he doesn't exist. The show's performed by a trained cast member. So the script is different and the experience changes a bit. But whereas in uh, the rights of the script ensure under contract, because that character, that performer exists, Disney under contract cannot make any change, anything but minor changes or replace the cast member entirely without changing the name and the concept completely. So the point that they're into with the actors' union is, if you decide to take out this character or change the script, you have to redo your whole contract with them for the experience. You know, just make it Luke Skywalker's workshop then. But that's just you know, it. I mean, right now they've been calling it Doc Ondar's basement or some mm -hmm. junk mm -hmm. like that. I understand, and they're giving out. You know, like I said, the like I. I I'm old. Get off my lawn. I'll be mad if the finally after this whole thing I can go to Disney World and I can't go to Savvy's workshop. I'm gonna I'm gonna be like protesting outside, you know. And like I said, I'm pro union, but it's like good. I, it seems like I don't know. Disney just set. I don't understand why Disney set themselves up like this. Well, that's that's part of the thing. Is this is a they were doing what they've done for their other experiences. Like like let me see from the store they say. They're, they're actually talking about the possibility of closing this down. That's a cash cow. Which you know, is the issue. It's is not going to be a cash cow if you just go get Luke Skywalker's lightsaber because half the fun that Dave had was seeing his you know, kid build a lightsaber that they can call their very own. Not like, hey, you sat through our 30-minute presentation. Here's your parting gift. You know, I mean, I, I don't understand. I, uh, I'm going to take my Well... From what I've seen, like um, I've looked at, I've watched other presentations that um, that they've done, both at Disneyland and Disney World, and they look identical to me. I mean, they really do. It's the cast member gets up there, they give the little speech about the Force, and and you know you, you need to imbue your saber with you know the spirituality and all this fun jazz, and then. You light the thing up and you lift it into the air and Yoda's music swells and uh, and the whole thing is just fun. Like but two hundred fifty bucks and you're on your way out the door. Exactly, you know, just uh, two hundred two hundred dollars later. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if I'm not aware of there being a significant difference from show to show, and if there if there's a if there's a slight difference, and if people have a specific set of skills and training to deliver that speech or they came up with it. There's some intellectual property um, questions. Then, I mean, I totally understand. And I, I really, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm pro union. And I, I think like it, especially if you got concerns about your health and you, you think like, Oh, they're, they're reopening this thing. And I don't agree with the way that they're doing this. And I think it's dangerous. Totally I, I agree. agree with, yeah. I agree with all of that. But 
Um, I guess I'm not familiar enough with how they're in a position to even be able to shut it down like this. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I'm sorry. You know what the easy fix here is, is the guy who will probably never pass up a paycheck. And that is you just get Mark Hamill to do a voiceover. You don't you don't need Skippy University of Orlando, you know, handing you a light. I thought you were gonna say Anthony Daniels because you said who would never turn down a paycheck. No, imagine if you just had if you had Luke Skywalker talking to you through speakers, you know, like from through the force. that'd be better than whoever the Yahoo is that's running you through the you could still have the same experience, you could tweak the stuff. Have Mark Ham hey kids, it's Mark Hamill. I I mean I would wet my pants as a forty seven year old wanting his lightsaber. That would just be awesome. Okay, so a couple of so things. Disney, First, I hope you're listening. So, well, no, a couple of things. Number one, the the issue, the sticking point here. And look, the the actors who performed the show want to go back. They they say they they say their union is kind of being a bit too much of a butthead. They recognize the risk. They're willing to accept the risks of performing a show in Florida in the time of, pand of a pandemic. They recognize that, you know, a lot of this stuff is, you know, they don't want to cross picket lines, but at the same time, they understand that they're, you know, they want to perform. The sticking point though is actors equity doesn't just represent actors in Florida, they represent all the actors in New York that perform at, you know, the Lion King and, you know, Beauty and the Beast on Ice and all the Disney shows on Broadway, which are whole different sets of contracts, whole different slew of issues. But the problem is they, all the all the actors union can do is represent everybody equi equitably. They say, these are the contracts we signed. This is what we have to hold Disney to. So they, while they are being sticklers for the letter of what's been agreed upon, this is what they agreed upon. And they're saying, Disney, you got to hold it to this. And this is just like, well, if you're going to do that, well, we're just going to fire all your guys, shut down the shows that don't need, that are not anything but a show. The what, the issue here, though, is, as you said, Savvy's Workshop is not just a performance. It's a moneymaker. See, that, yeah, that's the, I, I, I totally get, and I actually, I, I understand and support all of that. That, I mean, yeah, and I understand, you know, the union's work. It's like, we're protecting our people. I was, I right. was a teacher. I was part of a teacher union, and they're so necessary and so fun. But however, I'm also thinking about, all right, NFL players strike, fine. All right, we'll find people who will play football, you know, while you strike. You know, I can also see that side of it. So it's like, why? I mean, I don't understand why Disney is going, well, then we're just going to shut it all down because that's one of the threats they're making. It's right. like, why don't they say, all right, fine, we'll get some, you know, like I said, you know, college kids from the University of Orlando. I don't know if that's a thing, but, you know, and say, you know, here, we'll hand out because, these lightsabers, you know. Uh, for the same, well, I mean, they could do that, but again, it's much of the same. Remember, if they're, if they're selling you an experience, that's, you know, that college kid might be the one you catch outside smoking, you know, smoking with the Mickey head out off or the, you know, the Darth, you know, the Kyle Ren helmet off that totally breaks immersion for the paying customers. Yeah, but they're doing it out in California. You know, it's not doing, they're not doing California. No, no, but California is different because different rules. See, uh, this is, yeah, this is the issue. It's 
you got different arrangements made by the same corporation across three states. In fact, like bad business. I'm just, I'm just saying, it sounds well, like bad business. And then you look, and then you also factor in the unemployment elements of New York versus Florida versus California. Florida has been notorious for their bad unemployment benefits uh, mechanisms. That's why all the actors are like, no, let us get back in there. We need to eat. We need to work. And there, all the other, I mean, the, all the other unions that Disney has contracts with agree to whatever the uh, legal terms were for returning to work at, at Disney World, the various Disney World parks. This is the only one that has it, and that's what's impacting this. I still think you should have Mark Hamill's voice. Don't you, don't, don't you think that would be awesome? Applause. Anyway, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll okay, quit, that's I'll quit the, yelling about Disney. Sorry. On that, on that, on that, that's the last of the news. All right. So on to the meat and potatoes of you, you would think that was the meat and potatoes of this episode, but no. Um, we've been talking a lot. I guess when we we're, you know, when we were watching Empire Strikes Back and having our reaction, you know, we we uh, we talked about how much we love that movie, and we've we were talking about uh, the Last Jedi. We did that reaction, and so we were actually talking. It's like. And I've made a comment on here before about ranking Star Wars movies. I've never ranked Star Wars movies. This is the first time that you'll ever hear me, and my ranking will probably change tomorrow. But we're actually going to go through our personal rankings of all the Star Wars movies. Um, I've often said that they are all like, if I had kids, they're all like my kids, you know, um, and I, I love them all. Um, but I was forced to put them in order. So uh, we're going to, all of us did that. We're going to go around the horn. We're going to start at our favorite and work our way down because we think it will become more controversial as we get further down the list. We expect old man Aaron to get crankier as we go along. Aaron will get cranky probably at some point. Um, but uh, so we got 11 movies. Uh, first of all, let's just go around the horn. How hard was it for you to put together this list? I, I'll, say, I'll start off. It, it was not as difficult as I thought it was going to be, and I was actually surprised where I put some things. I'd say it was more difficult than I expected because of my – about the, the middle part of my list was the hardest part of my list. That's what I was going to agree with, say with, and I agree with Dave. It's the top is very easy, the bottom is very easy. It's the it's the meat of the sandwich where you start going like, okay, what topping goes in, in there? All right, so let me let me ask you this then, uh, because it was funny because we're eating dinner tonight, and Brittany was like, "So what are you guys talking about?" And I said, "Well, we're ranking movies." And I we went through my list, and I said, and actually I said, and here's how I developed my list. So I'm going to ask you guys how you developed your list. Mine was on a very simple criteria. It was like. TNT is having a, you know, marathon, Star Wars marathon. Am I watching the whole thing or am I just, it's what I flip to when something else is on commercial or do I just, nah, I'm not watching that. That was, that was my, it was, it, this is a piss poor, you know, measuring stick, but that was my measuring stick. You know, the, the idea that I gave you guys about, you know, a bracket, which I think we need to do at some point. We would need to come up with more criteria to have, you know, a big Star Wars battle of which movie wins out based on this criteria. That'd be fun. This one is just that was the simple measuring stick. It's like it's on TNT. 
yeah, I'm watching this movie and I'm not doing anything until I get to the end versus, ugh, let's see what else is on. So that was my measuring stick. Fredo, what was yours? What was yours? Uh, for me, actually, it was, uh, I just kind of went, okay, if you're thinking of watching a Star Wars movie or what makes you think Star Wars? And that's kind of what I went from. Like, like if in my head I picture Star Wars, what do I picture first? Okay, what do you picture next? That kind of thing. Because a lot, of, I find a lot of times, because we grew up with the trilogy, a lot of my feelings towards the movie are more based on where I was in my life at that moment and kind of how it hit me. So I like, how, I like how you sounded like Randall Graves there for a second. When you think about the trilogy, the Holy Trilogy, <laughs> yes. There's only one return that's of the king and as of the Jedi, not of and the Jedi is the most insulting one, anyway. <laughs> Uh, good stuff. No, I um to dovetail off that for me, I pretty much did it, approached it the same way. But I guess my thought process was, what's the most perfect Star Wars movie? Like, what's my most ideal Star Wars movie? And what's my least ideal Star Wars movie? And that was pretty much how I how I ranked them. All right. Well, we're going to start at the top. Number one, I will start um, and I'm going to start with A New Hope. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's an easy answer. But uh, I mean, I grew up sitting there in front of the record player playing the two, you know, disc set of it was just the audio from the movie. So even though I couldn't watch the movie, I listened to the movie almost on a daily basis. I know it inside and out. It's like chicken soup for my soul. It makes me just feel if I'm stressed, it makes me feel good. You know, it just, it just, it, it's, I can't explain it any more than that. It's just, you know, there, I mean, it has its flaws, but it's just, it makes me feel, it just makes me take a breath and go, ah, yeah. So, I mean, I will watch it if it's on. So Dave. I'm the same. Uh, I have a new hope. Number one. Um, I sometimes vacillate between it and Empire Strikes Back. I think they're sort of co-number ones. Um, but A New Hope I, is, is the one that more often that I come back to as being my favorite. And I think it's because I just love the, the – it gets everything right. <laughs> it's, it's what I think of. I think of. I think of Star Wars as being an homage to the hero's journey – um, those classic Western and samurai influences, the pulpy Flash Gordon stuff. I, um, I, I'm sorry. I think the debut album is always better. Uh, yeah. If you think of a band, I think the debut album is always the best. But anyway, keep going. Well, those, all of those sorts of influences, to me, they work really well in this movie. I love the tone. It's kind of light and fun. And all of this sort of belies the actual depth of the movie, which is like a critique on the Vietnam War. If we're being honest, we go back and you read interviews from George Lucas, that's what this movie was. So um, it's this subversive commentary on us. And I love that it works on that level as well. And for me, it, it's, it's number one. Fredo? Well... For me, uh, at the tippy top, I go with The Empire Strikes Back. 
And it's interesting. I've had that there for number one for a long time. I don't know. In some ways, I think maybe because it's the one I saw first. I saw the Empire first, and I went back to Sunday and New Hope. So I wonder if maybe there's a difference there. But when I think of everything that Star Wars is, everything that it can hold and everything that it can branch out to, I think Empire does everything perfectly. From the battles to the duels, all the philosophy, the romance, the heartbreak. You know, I do hope has its own journey, but I, I find that the journey in uh, Empire is just some, it's richer for me. It's, you know, it, it doesn't have the satisfaction of the, of the heroic ending, but in so many ways, the the ending that Empire gives you is one that I return to more just because I find it more cognizant in our current day and age. And let's face it, when things are looking dark and grim and the bad guys have just beaten you and you think, well, what do you do? Well, you stand up and you go fight again. And that's kind of the ultimate message of Empire. So uh, number two on my list, you guys might be surprised by this. Rogue One, and yeah. and I I, th I think it's because it's aesthetically so close to A New Hope. I mean, just I mean, just from the look of it, um, the story is obviously linked to it. Um, it it took me. I I felt. I remember when my brother was you know on our podcast and he said that the Mandalorian was, you know, first thing that felt like Star Wars since nineteen eighty three. Um, Rogue One made me feel like, like I felt with A New Hope. So, like I said, I think it's just the aesthetics of it. Um, I love, you know, I love the story. Um, I love the characters. I, you know, but the aesthetics of it just made me feel, especially after all of the prequels and Rebels and Clone Wars computer generated stuff. To you know, to see what Rogue One had, it just felt like. Uh, you know, old man Aaron felt felt pretty good. So, um, so Rogue One was number two on my list. Awesome. By the way, you're gonna uh, my my reasoning is not too deep on this. I'm just saying it's just yeah. my gut reaction. It's like I don't like that. Why not? Cause <laughs> so you're not gonna get too much deep out of me. Go ahead, Dave. No, I you know I I like your reasoning for that movie. I mean, I I, I like it for a lot of the same reasons. Mm -hmm. um, number two for me is Empire Strikes Back. Um, I think it's the best character-driven Star Wars movie. Um, and that's probably debatable, but for me it is. Because everything seems to ring so true for these characters. Um, like everything you would expect. We're going to, we're going to get to know these people, these archetypes that we established in the first movie. We're going to get to know them all better. Because we're going to turn the screws on them. And we're going to put them through the ringer. Um, and everything rings so true to me. And again, some of that's probably nostalgia because I experienced it as a kid. And, and, and you know, I, I understand those sorts of biases are there. But um, it, it, it all just, it, it, it turns out the way that I would expect it to for all of them. And I think as the middle part of a three-act play... It's without peer. I mean, like going back to what Fredo was saying, you know, like if you're going to have that downer middle chapter, um, it, it feels relevant right now. Um, this is the best downer middle 
middle chapter I think I can think of. Um, and I, it'll always be a classic to me. So it's my second. So for me, uh, too, and not surprised, I went to A New Hope. And for much of the same reasons you guys kind of said, so I'll not belabor the point too much. Uh, I think in many ways, if there had been no saga, if there had been no Star Wars Empire having a born out of it, it would still work perfectly. That, that's one of those things that so few of the movies that follow after never strive for. It's, it's self-contained. It's perfect. You understand everything from the beginning to the end. And if, if that's all you ever catch a Star Wars, well, you're happy with it. So I think in so many, in, in so many ways, it is indicative of what Star Wars is, of what it tries to be. And um, it does a great job of, of establishing itself from the beginning. You know, some, some other uh, movie series or franchises take a while to find their feet. Star Wars was running from day one, from scene one. So if, you, if, if within the first 10 minutes you go, you know, this is not really for me, I can totally understand because it's not going to get easier. You know, I, and I'll say that too, to back you up, like this is the movie that I always tell people to start with, mm -hmm. with Star mm -hmm. Wars. If no one's watched Star Wars, you have to start with A New Hope mm -hmm. because it's the most self-contained. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably the most important of all of the movies uh, from a cinema perspective. Mm -hmm. um, you have to start with this one. If you like this one, all right, you've, you've caught the bug and you're doomed just like us. Yeah. And if you don't, well, at least, here's the thing. If you don't, you at least can say, I saw it, and I know that it's not for me, which is perfectly yeah. fine. Because the other ones don't get any easier. So number three on my list was Empire. And the only reason why it wasn't number two is because, honestly, Empire gets a little slow. It gets a little too slow in some places. Um, doesn't make it bad. It's just like, you know, there's some stuff on Dagobah that it's just like, all right, let's see what's on ESPN. Or there's some, you know, parts in Cloud City where it's just like, okay, let's go. So there's some places where, or Han Hoth, you know, there's just some places where I understand that movies need to slow down. They can't be just breakneck speed the whole time. But sometimes it's like they don't just kick it into low gear they just turn off the engine and listen to the radio for a while so uh like i said that's i'm not being overly critical of empire it's great i love it um i agree with you on the character development you know it makes everybody a hell of a lot more interesting um than we got from the first movie um but uh like i said so but no it's three i i, I love it it's uh but like i said there's just some places where it's like you know just got too slow anyway so dave Three for me is Rogue One. Um, it's the first Star War movie, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I and I love it for that. You know, like war requires sacrifice, and you just you really don't see that um, in any of the other movies. At least not to the degree that you see it in Rogue One. We sacrifice everything here, um, and you know, for a greater goal for a greater good and it, it it's just a very deeply affecting movie for me still um and it's the most grown-up star wars movie i mean it is it, um it's not fancy my, yeah. my my kids hate it <laughs> <laughs> it takes you know? your mind 
they'll change their mind in 10 years. They absolutely will. And well, they, when I'm, they get I'm, all emo, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy that transformation, but, uh, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's great. Um, and I, you know, it, it's just risen for me over time too. I would say when I first saw the movie, I thought that's just a nice film. Uh, I like it, but I don't know where I would put it on my ranking. Maybe kind of low, and I think it was low at one point. And I highly re recommend that people watch, take the time to watch Rogue One and go directly into A New Hope. Yeah, it I agree with that. So well, it works so well. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Uh, and you're like better than you would even think. True. Um, and like Hope's whole tone um, is affected by what you see in Rogue One. Everything feels a little more weighty and a little more important. Yes. Um, but it's still kind of a um, palate cleanser <laughs> after Rogue One. Um, is that a and, Star Wars dark? Yeah. 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 But yeah, Rogue One's third on my list at this point. It's just continued to rise and rise and rise for me. So third for me, and this might surprise you, The Last Jedi. Ah. We, we just saw it a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. I, of, and I was trying to think about why I'm putting it so high. I find that of the movies that have come probably in this millennium, so that month, 99 till now it's the one that requires the most thinking about it's the one that requires the most discussion about it's the one that's most willing to challenge what our perceptions of star wars is some of the other movies that we'll get we'll get to the bottom uh don't do that they're okay just kind of treading water and that's fine look you know when you, when you think about it, we're joking about the Mission Impossible movies or Fast and Furious movies, you know, giving the audience the same thing again and again is perfectly fine. But I find that I love The Last Jedi because it's willing to challenge expectations, subvert them, go against them, but still do it from a position of, I'm, we're still going to entertain you. We're still going to uh, give you the bang for the buck that you came to get. And it does that. So that's yeah. the three. So number number four on my list, Force Awakens. Um, Force Awakens is, you know, you talk about Rogue One being a grown-up Star Wars movie. Force Awakens is a fun Star Wars movie. You know, from the, it's just, it, it, it seemed like there was just a, an element, uh, there was a youthful element that was injected into it. It was, it was fast-paced. It was, you know, I thought the classic characters, were used well, um, especially you know using Han as much as they did. Um, it, it, you know, it was it was just it's just a fun movie to watch. Again, it's not quite the chicken soup that you know A New Hope is, um, but it made you after after all the heaviness of the prequels. You know, it was nice just to be back on an adventure, and and. and not to be punny, but an awakening, you know, it's like, we got, we got to revive this, you know, and, and give it some, give it some sauce. And I thought that's what it did, you know, and I've always said that force awakens did exactly what it was supposed to do. Um, you know, again, it was the candy to get us into the van. Um, and I, I, I just, it was, 
it, it, it's just a fun movie. Just a fun movie. And uh, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's number four on my list. I will watch it. If it's on, I will leave it on the TV. Four for me is Last Jedi. Um, I, I can't say much beyond what uh, Fredo said because he just kind of summed it up really well. But it just it subverts expectations so well. It effectively breathed new life into the whole thing for me. Um, you know, we were at a point of potential staleness. We'd had two new movies, which was exciting, um, but they both felt a little pandery. <laughs> um, and and so when the Last Jedi came came around, I was it was just it blew me away. I mean, it I didn't. We all talked about this on the commentary. We didn't know how to react to it because it was so different um, from every other Star Wars movie that had come beforehand. Um, I'd say its highs are among the best in the whole saga. Um, and its quieter character moments work super well also. Um, but it has, I still think it has a few warts. Um, and so for that reason, it's not higher. Um, but yeah, I, it, it just, it's really, really good. Um, so number four for me is going to be Return of the Jedi. And it's interesting because I'll, I'll, it's always easy to pick on it as the the runt of the uh, original trilogy. You know, as I just joked, and Jedi is the you know, most disgusting chapter because it's Sully's Vader's beautiful black message. Uh, or the most insulting chapter. But it's uh, I find that its highs are among the best. I love the idea of starting it on a heist, which is rescuing Han Solo, but they play it as a heist. And then before we get into the whole resolving of all the uh, cliffhangers that Empire sets up, uh, Ian McDermott kills it as the Emperor. I don't think, you know, besides from Last Jedi, I think this is the best that I've seen uh, Mark Hamill as Luke because it's a far more mature uh, performance. And um, if I was going to ding it for reasons why it's not higher, I think it, they don't do anywhere near enough with Leia and the revelation of her being related to Luke and what that means to her relationship with Vader. Uh, I find that once they uh, free Han, he's more kind of like hanging on for coming along for the ride, which is an interesting dynamic because he has such a, a presence in Empire, uh, same thing for Lando, but I still enjoy it. It's still wonderful. You know, I will watch the other day. I was just sat there, you know, YouTube said, hey, would you like to see the space battle from from uh, indoor, I'm like, yes, I would want, totally want to watch a click. And I sat there and I watched for 12 minutes, you know. And then they said, would you like to watch the duels? Yes, click, I will totally watch that. Yeah, you talk about that. It's like the, the difference between 1977 and 1983 and the speed of the, how they figured out how to make those ships move faster. Right. You know, because when they're in the battle, you know, that space battle, the second Death Star, it's like everything's just flying all you're like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I um, remember watching it on the big screen, how much faster it felt then. Yeah. All right. So uh, number five on my list, you guys might be surprised by this. Can you can you guess? Mm, Revenge of the Sith? No. Oh, God, no. <laughs> so, uh, it's Solo. Mm -hmm. Solo. Right. Yeah. Solo is number five. 
And it's because it gets into that, you know, it's a fun story. Um, it's a new story. It's a, it's a new story after, I mean, you know, yeah, George Lucas talks about everything rhyming and everything does rhyme so much. And this one was just a total new story. Yeah, we knew there were going to be a lot of, like you said, pandering things. We we're going to see him get his gun. We we're going to see him get a million Falcon. We we're going to see him meet Chewbacca. We we're going to see it, but it was, and, and especially how it surprised me because I was not looking forward to seeing this movie. I was looking forward to a new Star Wars movie, but I was just like, eh, okay, yeah, whatever. It's solo. And again, I've said it before that Kessel run scene, even though I know everybody's going to make, make it out of it. I was still gripping the seats. It was so well done. It's just so fun. Um, and uh, but like I said, the fact that it's a, a different story um, was was good. And also, I don't think it would be as highly ranked if you know, like I said before, Alden Ehrenreich and um, Donald Glover hadn't have nailed Han Solo and Lando. They you know they did it without mimicking. They did it without you know just. They, they got the essence of the character with a few mannerisms. And so it was tastefully done. Um, Jonas does awesome as Chewbacca. I think it's just how he paid attention to what Peter taught him about how to be Chewbacca. Um, so yeah, it's just a fun movie. That's just, that's it. I'll watch that on repeat. Um, number five, I have Revenge of the Sith. Um, I, it's got some of that prequel cartoonishness. Um, and, you know, there are a few plot things where you, you kind of scratch your head over. So it loses some points, right? Right off the bat. But it's just such a wonderful tragedy. Like... We knew where this was all headed, right? Um, and we it had to pay off in a satisfying way. And I know that for some people, you know, it's debatable whether it did for them or not. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but, I mean, for me, the I, – I can't even – express like how important this movie was to me at the time because of it being kind of an end of a journey. Um, I had just gotten a new job. It was um, my youth had kind of just ended basically at that point. You know, I was a grown up. I was starting this new life and Star Wars was ending, you know, and I'm like, this is, this is this is hitting at just the right time for me. And it has all that fun Star Wars excess, you know, the first third of the movie. Um, I think the um, just the performance by McDermott um, just blows me away every time I see it. And... Um, yeah, the it is tragic. It affects me. You know, the the last third of that movie, uh, it 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 gets to me. I I I hate and love seeing Anakin's fall. So for me, it's it's in the top five. So number five for me is going to be Rogue One. 
and for much the same reason you guys mentioned, so I won't belabor the point too point much. I think the reasons that are is I find that you could you can kind of see the seams of where there was more to be told there that kind of got cut, and we've discussed the issues that Gareth Edwards had in making Rogue One come to life, uh, particularly in the middle, you know, particularly in the middle when you know some of some of the choices that they made didn't quite I didn't quite enjoy as well, or I didn't feel they gave them enough room. I mean, I've said before, I feel like there's another 20 minutes you could have added right in the middle to flesh it out and make it a deeper, richer experience. That said, the last third from the moment they take off from Yavin 4 to the end is one of the best roller coaster rides Star Wars has ever given us. Just the battle, the slowness of how it begins, the way it just keeps stacking stuff on top of stuff. You know, it begins just small squadron on the beach. You know, do it quietly. Okay, now light them up. And then the way that the ships show up and the way, the way that everything just builds, it just, it works so perfectly. So I think that's why it's in my top five. And absolutely, and the characters. The other thing I'll highlight is how many of those characters you just go, you know, we have, they have to die. But that, my clunky. If, you know, my clunky, if they cannot, if I didn't wish I had more of them. I wanted to see more of this crew, so that's what's top five. You can't do a post facto McClunky. It's too late. It's on the record. Can I do a de facto McClunky? <laughs> uh, so next time, what are we on? Number six. We're halfway. Six. Uh, it's uh, Return of the Jedi. Um, reason why it's in the middle is because um, it, it seemed like of, of the original three, it was getting tired. It was like they're at the end of the race. Um, as I said, I love the start of it with it being on the Death Star, and then it gets slow, you know, and Tatooine. Um, it, you know, then it finally kicks back up. Um, I have no problem with Ewoks. I thought that was an excellent plot point. Um, the space battle is awesome, um, but it is it? There's some of it that felt like okay, we got to do. We're we're contracted now to do you know three, so let's get three done. Um, but, uh, but I think it's, a. Yeah, I agree. I like, I like Luke's character. Um, you know, but, and kind of to Dave's point about, you know, revenge of the Sith being kind of a, you know, there was a turning point there. I mean, I was 10 years old when, you know, uh, when Jedi came out. So, you know, I'm getting close, getting close to middle school, you know, where, you know, I, my, my parents were, you know, divorcing, so there's, you know, there's a, an element where, you know, a lot of, a lot of change was going on. And so it does hold a, a special place in my heart. The action figures were awesome. They're much better than, you know, what was in uh, the, the first two movies. Um, and my friend Ed had all of them. Um, so, you know, but uh, no, I, I, Jedi is just kind of right in the middle for me. So, yeah. For me, I, um, I have Solo in my top six as well. Um, it's number six for me. Um, and I think what really, for me, the reason why I would elevate it over some of these others um, is that this movie comes the closest to the original's tone. I mean, for me, A New Hope is the ideal Star Wars. And Solo's tone is so similar. Um and, and, like, I remember just exiting that movie and smiling and being in a good mood. 
and um, I like that in my Star Wars. I mean, I like I like the downers too, but I uh, uh, I like I like that. I like having that. And um, beyond that, it's also like the other the other comparison I make um, to A New Hope with this one is that it's also subversive. Um, it's a lot deeper than people think that it is. Um, this is a commentary on liberty and slavery. And I mean, they really do kind of hit you over the head with it if you think about it, but they don't actually, it's kind of played for laughs. You know, we've got the droid, you know, fighting for her freedom and so forth and so on. Ha ha ha, you know, but they're winking at you while they're doing that because everything about this movie is about freedom. Um, and so I love this movie for its deeper themes, but I also love it for it being light and fun. And, and for that, it's very much like a new hope and makes my top six. So my number six is, and let me bring it from the light of fun to the dark, uh, revenge of the Sith. So yes. we, both have it, we both have a top six, uh, for much of what you said, Dave, but also in so many ways, I mean, Number one, I think it's the best of the of the prequels. That 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 has to be said. And I, I know that doesn't go high with some, it goes high with me. But I also think just as I love the way it starts. It kicks off in the middle of an action scene. I said that when we were watching The Last Jedi. Not too many Star Wars movies decided just okay, we're we're gonna be an action adventure movie. Why are you starting me off on diplomatic uh, relations and trade talk? No, start me off in an action sequence and get me on board. Uh it drags in the middle that cannot be denied and yes a lot of the uh banta puru uh prequel stuff kind of sticks to the bottom of its shoe it's unavoidable it's it's built on sand and we all know what sand is like so uh but that said its willingness to deal on topics about the fall of liberty its willingness to talk about the corruption the corrupting nature of good or the corrupting nature of trying to do good the elements of having to do with, you know, how people give themselves over to evil, how good people can be so proud and so egotistical as to not think that they can be blinded by evil. It's got some a lot of heavy stuff. I think in many ways, Revenge of the Sith is the first movie since probably Empire, where George is like, I'm coming out all guns blazing to give you everything that's in my, in my mind or the way that I feel. And he puts that in there, front and center. He's, I mean, you cannot look at Revenge of the Sith happening in 2005 and not think of it as a reflection of 2005's geopolitical world. Because it's very much a, just as A New Hope is about the Vietnam War, a commentary on that, Revenge of the Sith is a commentary on George W. Bush's War on Terror. So, top six for me. Right on. Well, number seven for me. I'm going to disagree with you. And the best of the prequels is The Phantom Menace. Um, I think of the prequel movies, it is the one that feels most like Star Wars. Um, yeah, part of that is location. Um, it's, uh, but it's also the one that's the least video gamey. Um, it, you know, that's one of the things that we'll get into it when we get to Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, is that at the, it, 
I, I felt like I was in a video game engine for so much, and I, I just got taken out of the movie. Um, but Phantom Menace, I, I love what they did with the music. Um, again, I you, you talk about the you know um, the Trade Federation stuff at the beginning. Again, I don't know what anybody else was expecting except for it to be a political story. Um, you know, so but I, I like that there was also. Uh, I like how the, the emperor was, you know, Palpatine was in the shadows. I like how it, it just, it just seemed like more of a star Wars movie than the other two. And we'll get into the reason why I don't, you know, didn't really, we'll get into the reasons why the other two are further <laughs> down the list later. Um, but uh, Phantom Menace uh, is, I, yeah, it's just, it's just below halfway. Um, you know, it's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but of the three prequels, I will watch it before I'll watch the other two. So, and my dog going nuts. I don't know who's invading what, but anyway, she's disagreeing with you. She agrees with me. <laughs> um, seven. Woo, woof. Seven for me. Uh, Return of the Jedi. Um. You know, it's it's in this. This is the part of my list that was the hardest for me to sort. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like Return of the Jedi is a very flawed movie. I loved it as a kid. When I go back and I watch it now, I find myself reaching for the fast forward button, and I have to kind of like stop myself. Um, I feel like the first, the Act One feels like a distraction from the main event. Um, it's like. We're, we're trying it. It's that hard to defeat Jabba and you guys have like, you're, you're supposed to be an army basically. And like, why, why is it so hard for you to, to, to pull this thing together? And then the second act is just slow. <laughs> um, and it's not very ins inspiring a setting for me either. You know, the Redwoods are such a distinctive part of um, Americana for me that it didn't feel like a very foreign alien environment. Um, and I wasn't inspired by the Ewoks. Um, so the first two thirds of the movie I have issues with. Um, the final act is incredible. <laughs> it's, as good, it's as good as Star Wars gets. Um, and so for, for that reason alone, that this, this movie outranks some of the others on my list. Um, so yeah, seven. Uh, feels fair to me. So seven for me is The Force Awakens. And you guys have mentioned it because you've had a higher about some of its qualities. At its, at its best, what I can say is that it's fun. You can enjoy it. You love the characters. I will, I will give it this much. The characters of Ray, Finn, and Poe come onto the screen and you just want to be part of them. It's one of the it's one of the you know things that uh, it and Rogue One and I mean Hope share that in some ways the prequels did. You wanted to not only do you want to follow these characters and root for these characters, you wanted to see where their story would take them. I find it it hues way too close to a New Hope for me to put it any higher. If my choice is a New Hope or a New Hope die light, I'm gonna go with a New Hope time and again. And it's not a knock on The Force Awakens, but I, I think that J.J. Abrams, by design, remixed and copied a lot of what A New Hope did. 
while throwing in his J.J. Abrams mystery box stuff. Whereas uh, A New Hope, like we said, is complete. So I love it. I enjoy it. I just don't think I can put it higher in my list than seven. Cool. Uh, so we're at eight. Mm -hmm. um, Last Jedi. And that's not a knock on The Last Jedi. Um, I've talked, I really enjoy The Last Jedi. Um, but it, it's, it sometimes seems like work to get through it because it is probably the slowest moving, um, headiest Star Wars movie, you know, and, so, and for me when I, it, and this is, this is, this is so, you know, elementary, but it's like, I, I want a little bit more, you know, swashbuckling and, you know, fun and energy. And I just can't get past that damn slow speed chase. I just, I, that just, man, is like, oh, come on. You know, if, if there would have been a couple more decision decisions made differently, I think that it would be higher up on my list. I mean, I love the way Luke Skywalker is, you know, played. Um, you know, I have, I have the problem with, you know, people. I, and again, some of this is unfair to the movie because it's more of like how audiences reacted to it. It's like the whole Raylo thing just makes me go, I don't want to watch this movie. Because all I can see is people saying, oh, they should be together. And it's just like, ugh. You know? um, so again, that's unfair to the movie. Uh, I think Ryan Johnson did a great job writing the movie, except for the slow speed chase and for the joke at the beginning. Um, but there are, um, but otherwise, yeah, it's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good watch. But there are some places where I will just, you know, the Canto Bite thing I could fast forward through. You know, um, I think that's, uh, kind of a lost opportunity on some things they could have done. Um, I understand what he was trying to do, but like I said, it's just it's just more of a, um, you know, kind of like, yeah, it's just more work to get through it sometimes. So, but otherwise, yeah, no, like it's a good movie, but not at the top. Eight for me is uh, the Force Awakens. So we're staying with the sequel trilogy here. Um, it's a perfectly fun adventure that I enjoy a lot. Um, so it's a McDonald's but, cheeseburger. <laughs> it's the McDonald's cheeseburger of the it's Star a happy Wars meal. It's, it's a happy, happy meal, complete with toy. Um, really enjoyed it the first time I watched it. I uh, enjoyed it pretty much every viewing since. It's super well acted. Uh, I feel like Abrams played to his strengths in this movie. He, he did what he does best. And if I can interrupt um, you real quick, I think yeah. it is actually the best acted Star Wars movie. Maybe Rogue One is close by it, but I think, I think it's one of the best acted um, movies. Anyway, I'll just throw that in there. Go ahead. Keep going. Disagree with me if you like. That's fine. You know what I would say is I think it and the Last Jedi are in on a very similar um, level in that regard because the the actors involved are all crushing it um, in both of those movies. Um, I just the the problem with this movie is I just didn't have space for it any higher on my list. Um, it doesn't excel at anything more than any of the other films do. Um, I, I like that it takes its time. 
especially in the first act where you're, you're getting to know these characters. It takes the time to do that. I appreciate that. I appreciate the quick, breezy tone through the second and third acts. Um, I like the 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 solo sequence at the end. I know some people hated it, but I really thought that that was a poignant end for his character. Um, just didn't have space for it any higher. Um, Fair enough. You know, yeah. So uh, eight for me is going to be solo. And I'm going to disagree with you with this, Aaron. I think Solo might be the best acted of the whole uh, saga. Because, because yeah. Alden nails Han Solo. Donald Glover nails Lando Calrissian. And then, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridges at Kills at SL3. You know, even Emilia Clark as Kira or Paul Bettany as, uh, as uh, Dryden Voss are excellent in their roles uh, there was not you know junas as as a uh, uh as chewbacca uh and then uh woody harrelson who could probably act that kind of sleazy second you know you know mean kind of jerk in his sleep so maybe that and row one for me would be like the best actor top to bottom although i wouldn't disagree with force awakens but i think solo does it in terms of why it's not higher i mean the, the castle runs amazing the the humor I think I think the humor in Solo lands better than the humor in Last Jedi. I think the humor you know works better. I just kind of like David didn't have room anywhere higher. I find that it's one that if it never existed, I don't know that I would miss it. Like there, there there's some you know some of the other movies even for other flaws. Like you go okay we didn't get a resolution or we get an explanation or we didn't get a payoff. I think with Solo. By making it a sour, you know, a side story, you can kind of cut it off and not miss it. But I do think it is so much fun, and people who dismissed it when it came out really missed out on a fun experience of the movie. So, uh, what we're up number nine. Nine. Number nine on my list is the Rise of Skywalker. And again, I want to preface this by saying I don't dislike any of these movies. But The Rise of Skywalker, what I'm reminded of is, again, what I've, I've talked about many times where I was in a band. And I remember, you know, playing St. Patrick's Day. I was in an Irish band. Playing St. Patrick's Day from 8 o'clock in the morning until about 9 o'clock at night. And you're in the last hour of this day. And you're like, dear God, just let me get through this. And it's like, all right, two more songs to go. All right, one more song to go. One, uh, you know. That's the way I feel about Rise of Skywalker. I'm also, I also have talked about being a band director and it's like when I'd be writing the drill for a show and I've talked about, I've mentioned many times, writing yourself into a corner. And The Last Jedi was like, oh, thank God we got out of that. You know, it's like, okay, you know, the, the Last Jedi did what it needed to do and then The Rise of Skywalker was like, oh, crud, what do we do? Blah! And all right, there, we're, we're out of it. Um, so it, it felt like draw, you know, drawing connections and, you know, you have to struggle to make it fit within the, the sequel trilogy. Um, it, you know, it's just, it just, like I said, it just seemed like they worked way too hard. It could have been a much better movie. And I think that's the sequel trilogy as a whole. That trilogy could be a lot better than what it was. And we've talked about it many times is why it is. Um, you know, that being said, the, you know, after I've, now that it's been on Disney Plus, 
I haven't watched it a whole lot. I've watched it a couple times. It's not one, eh, you know, I told you, Marvel. I, I'm now going back. I've watched Endgame a couple times. You know, it's like I get so excited about the that last Endgame battle. I don't get that way over Rise of Skywalker. I don't know what that says about me. I, what it says is that they made a better movie, <laughs> you know? Um, so, um, you know, so Rise of Skywalker is towards the bottom of my list. Number nine. Uh, number nine for me is Attack of the Clones. Um, Surprise. I have a deep admiration for what Lucas was trying to do with this movie. Um, and though it admittedly misfires a lot, I really can't fault it for um, a unique tone which I'm not sure we've still matched that tone in a Star Wars movie. I, I feel like the moment I saw this movie, I'm like, that's unlike any other Star Wars movie I've ever seen. Um, and we still haven't really seen another Star Wars movie quite like this since. Um, so... For that alone, I kind of appreciate this movie. But I also love the cinematography, um, the way that he shoots this movie. Um, if you read about some of the influences that he had uh, on this movie in particular, that list is like a million pages long. Um, like he went, you know, like you talk about all the um, all the things that influenced the original Star Wars. We'll throw all that into Attack of the Clones, and then add a bunch of movies, um, you know, from from Italy and um, you know from all these other different kinds of westerns, other than the spaghetti westerns that he had typically leaned into. I um, there's there's a lot to be found here when you just watch this movie and you see the influences from all the different other genres that he pulls from. Um, I like the mystery subplot, um, even though it's sort of nonsensical. Ultimately, I still like it. It's fun to watch, um, and everything that happens on Geonosis, essentially the at the the final the the, the final runtime of this movie is just really imaginative and cool and fun. And you get the feeling like he was shooting the kind of Star Wars that he had been itching to shoot um, for 20 years. And, um, and yeah, it misfires all over the place. But I love it for what it strives to do and for what it actually does achieve. So number nine for me is going to be The Phantom Menace. And in so many ways, I think you could kind of see, you can see its influences. You know, you can see what it was trying to aim at. It doesn't quite reach for me as high as some of the other ones, a lot of the other ones. But I, I mean, I remember being there, midnight showing, you know, May 1999 and coming away blown by it. And it's just, as, as time has not been kind to it in so many ways. But I do think, you know, seeing what it is, if you just take it for what it is, it's a good movie. You enjoy some of the characters. Darth Maul is a presence. It's uh, it's interesting because I've never, you know, you know, you've never seen a Star Wars movie be as upfront political 
I mean, we talked about Star Wars, you know, New Hope being political, but here it was, you know, we're talking more political in the sense of involving senatorial politics and gubernatorial uh, proceedings, et cetera, et cetera. They called a guy Lot Dodd for crying out loud. Exactly, exactly. So uh, again, no, nobody can ever fault George for not being upfront about where he stands on things. He he's telling you. Uh, I do think, you know, unfortunately, what it doesn't get right, it gets wrong. And I think that's why it doesn't land aside for me. So number 10 for me is Attack of the Clones. And I think this is the most poorly acted Star Wars movie. And that's saying something because A New Hope is not really well acted either. But I mean, there are many groaners in this movie. And yes, part of that is direction. George Lucas is not an actor's director. Um, but it's still, it, you know, if you are a professional, uh, I've said it before, it's like if you, you know, if I am, if you're going to hire me to play timpani for your symphony, whether it is the Louisiana Philharmonic or some local podunk, you know, community sym symphony, I will play at the same level. And I will play as if I'm playing to the same crowd. And so people can complain about their director not giving them adequate direction. But at some point, you got to take some responsibility for yourself. And there, I mean, the interaction between Django Fett and Obi-Wan is awful. The, you know, the, the, you know, romance between Anakin and Padme is forced and somewhat creepy. Um, the, I, uh, yeah, I, the, the mystery subplot, I, I, I'm with you, Dave. I kind of like the idea that it was a mystery, but it seemed too much like a Scooby-Doo episode, you know? Um, also, I never pictured Obi-Wan as being such a sanctimonious, edit this out, a sanctimonious McClunky. as he was throughout the, you know, most of the movie. You have to put in a McClunky there. Um, I don't mind Anakin being all emo but it just seems sometimes over the top. So there's just so much, so many acting choices that could have been more subtle that it just seemed like too much like a sitcom or too much like, you know, like, are you doing this on purpose? You know, I, it, so, and then, like I said, the, the battle of, you know, a Geonosis, I think would be awesome, except I'm taken out of it. Yes. It's unlike any other star Wars movie I've ever seen, but it's unlike any other star Wars movie I've ever seen. It's like, we're, Again, every CGI everywhere, you know. Um, I, I would wonder what Attack of the Clones would look like if it was made today with with the uh, sensibilities that people are using with CGI. And I think it would be, a, I think I would have a totally different reaction to it. Um, so I know George Lucas was pushing the boundaries on things. I know he was trying different things and that is awesome, but it takes me out of it. Um, I, yeah, so it's, it, like I said, those are the things that just make me go, eh. Again, I, I, I enjoy the movie, but if it's on, I will watch it, but I'll flip to other things. I'll, if there's a ball game on, I'll go to the ball game or I'll, you know, whatever. So anyway, Attack of the Clones. Um, 10 for me is Phantom Menace. Um, I like it. Um, I can 
I can say this because, like, this is probably where I'm, I wouldn't make my point that I feel about Star Wars the way I do about pizza. You know, all Star Wars is good Star Wars for me. Um, even, even, even bad pizza is good. Um, and I feel that way about Star Wars. Um, but, but this is some Chuck E. Cheese type pizza is what you're saying? <laughs> um, no, because I enjoy it. <laughs> Um, like you said about Attack of the Clones, if it's on TV, you may still enjoy it. You may watch it and enjoy parts of it. Um, I feel that way about Phantom Menace, and I feel like I had a maybe a more positive reaction to the movie initially than a lot of people might have um, because I wasn't able to watch it um, for two months because I was in Germany at the time, and I wanted to watch it in English. Um I wasn't going to budge on that. And plus, I don't think it released in Germany until two months later anyway. Um, so I got to see this negative backlash to this movie just unfold on the internet where everybody just slagged on this movie after all this hype had built. So everybody experienced all this hype, and they went and they saw the movie, and a lot of people were disappointed by it, and they proceeded to destroy the movie on the internet. So I go into the movie at this point thinking, well, I just, I just hope I can enjoy this. I mean, I have no idea what I'm going to see here, but again, to quote Aaron on this, check your expectations at the door. And I enjoyed it. And I really liked the movie and I still have a great deal of fondness for it to this day. It's obviously lovingly crafted this movie. Um, you talk about it being aesthetically very close to the original trilogy, and you can tell with like the actual models that they built, uh, like you said, the setting of tattooing. Um, it you can tell that they a lot of people put a lot of heart and a lot of their heart and soul into this movie. Um, and you know, again, I like it a lot more than. A lot out of other people do um but it's still really just low low on my list because there's no place for it any higher um it's a it's kind of a slow burn um and ultimately not a lot happens in the movie um you know a couple of people die and they prevent the trade federation from blockading this planet you know and palpatine takes power but you know he hasn't taken absolute power yet so it really is kind of this i can appreciate it on that level i mean it is you know th these are the first steps towards you know the major conflicts that we see later on but um still not a lot happens here so for that reason alone i'd say it's low on my list fair enough yeah. So uh, it's interesting for uh, 10 and 11 for me, I kept that this is where I actually had kind of a hard decision to make which one go ahead of the other. So 10 for me is Attack of the Clones. And I think what ultimately put it ahead of number 11 was two things. First of all, it's a movie of ideas. There's an intent here. Execution sucks. We talk, you talked about the acting, you talk about the editing, you talk about the CGI. Yeah, it's it's all clearly, the, you know, they tried and they failed spectacularly. 
but at least there was an attempt to try something epic. Because this is the only Star Wars movie where romance, where love is at the heart of it. Most of the, you know, most of the other Star Wars movies are built on big ideas, but none of them are built on the idea of love and unrequited love and denying yourself love and what it means to love somebody and what it means to hide that from other people. You know, all, all those elements are at play here because at, you know, at its essence, the movie is about Anakin and Padme choosing to do something that will just doom them and destroy the galaxy, but doing it for love because they don't see beyond that, that, that inability to, uh, to recognize all the ramifications of what's happening because they're people like anybody else. You only see what's in front of you. But like I said, you know, in terms of execution, I think maybe the only person that gets away scot-free is John Williams. Everybody else, you know, and really we should highlight that John Williams was an, all, was an all-star in all this entire saga. Uh, but in terms of the acting, I mean, whether it's Obi-Wan shining uh, Anakin, whether it's Anakin being creepy with Padme, whether it's Padme delivering dialogue like, like you know, to people in front of her, like she's talking to them from a mile away, you know, in terms of how stilted it is. Um, the whole up and down, you know, I think it's got it's got its intentions and its ideas in the right place. But when it came time to put it together, it's kind of like having a great recipe. And, you know, you give it to somebody and they come out with the worst dish ever made. That's why it's number 10. You know, to dovetail one thing off of what you said, I love, 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 and I think it might be my favorite ending mm -hmm. of any of the Star Wars movies. I agree. I'm just, I'm just standing there, you know, getting That's married, cool. and you know... <laughs> <laughs> you know how bad this is for the galaxy. Yeah, and, like uh, if, if you've been if you've been the wed the wedding guest when they go, does anybody object? Yeah, right here. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny is um, I went to see this movie with um, the, this friend of mine, a guy who's been my best friend since preschool, and he hadn't seen Attack of the Clones yet, and I'd seen it, and we're in the lobby. Um, and the showing right before us was just getting done. It's at the very end. And all, you know, and you, as you know, you know, the Empire, you know, the Imperial March is played at the end. And his jaw dropped. He's like, what? You didn't tell me that the Imperial March is in this. I mean, so he's like spoiled from, you know, that cool oh. surprise from the end of this because his is bellowing from the doors. But Now, I will say, so... We talk about how at the moment of the day of release, you tend to have blinders on. You're just happy to get new Star Wars. I saw this movie twice on release day. Me and my oh, yeah. me, me and my brothers went and caught it once at the Elmwood Theater. And then we're out by Kenner. We went to the mall right there to pick something up. We're like, hey, there's a show starting up in a couple of hours. Want to go see it again? Sure, let's go see it again. So we just popped into the theater, walked in. So Because so, uh, we needed to see Yoda fighting uh, Count Dooku. You know, twice in one day. Come on, man. Yeah. Well, no surprise. At the bottom of my list, number 11, is Revenge of the Sith. Um, from the beginning, the crawl, when they're talking about General Grievous, and we're on this ship, and I'm supposed to care about this, you know, General Grievous. I have no idea who he is. And we're, it's like I'm watching this going, have I missed something? Because it's like everybody's interacting like they've known each other for years. 
And I, so that sets me kind of off kilter. Um, them running through the ship, again, Scooby-Doo episode, you know, running from room to room um, with, you know, Palpatine, that's awkward. Um, most of all, they just, oh, they ruined Padme's character in this movie. Um, I, I just, I, any time that there's the interaction between her and Anakin, it's awful. Um, like I said, they just, in my, in my, my wife's words said that she said, the problem I have with that movie is they just did her dirty. Um, they said, it's just, they just ruined that character. Um, I thought I was cheated out of Anakin's turn to Darth Vader. Um, I just thought it was weak sauce. Um, you can get into the, uh, the no at the very end. I don't mind the Frankenstein homage. I mind him going, no, it just was it's just bad. Um, you know, there's some really fun things in there. I love the Yoda emperor, you know, fight. Um, I thought the, the Anakin Obi-Wan duel was just way overdone. I mean, especially when they start swinging on a rope, swinging at each other, it's like, come on, really? It's kind of, it's kind of like you're listening to a band and you're like, all right, that guitar solo could have ended two minutes ago. Um, the lightsaber duel, could it, it just, they just got a little bit ridiculous. Um, I, I just, the, the movie just strikes me as just, it, it just makes me uh, sigh a lot. Um, cause it, and I, I understand all the things they were setting up, you know, but yeah, I don't know. And then, of course, she died of a broken heart. Come on. Hey, Aaron, Aaron, threw the whole center to him. True story. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, that part was awesome, but, you know, there's just, there's just so much that was just, um, you know, I, Man, I tell you what, I the the Anakin of that goes and slaughters younglings. I believe that guy turns to you know Darth Vader, but turning to Darth Vader because he wants to say say Padme, that was like if you would have told Aaron in 1977 that that's why this guy becomes so bad, I'd be like, what, what, no, you know, I mean, I could understand other things turning him to the dark side, and that destroying the relationship between he and his wife but not it just it just seemed like it wasn't an a logical i don't know didn't seem like a logical path so this one and i know you guys have talked about the music i i can't hum you one thing from the music here everybody went nuts over whatever the title was that they played during the um final lightsaber battle um the battle of the heroes Sure. Okay. Yeah. See, that's how I can't even remember my name. Um, so I mean, that that's not. I'm not dissing anybody that likes it, but to me, it just was not. You know, it didn't feel Star Wars. It didn't feel. And then, oh my God! And then the you know, I have the high ground and don't underestimate my power. That's the worst delivered line in cinematic history, probably challenge me on that one that's just horribly delivered you underestimate my power is that really the best take that you had of hayden christensen doing that you know that being said after he gets his leg sliced off you know ewan mcgregor gives one of the 
best performances in probably any Star Wars movie. The anguish that he had seeing his brother dying, that was incredibly powerful. So there's a lot of good stuff that's just intermingled with dog crap. Um, you know, so, but the problem is, is like, it's, it doesn't matter if you have this gorgeous lawn, if you still step in dog crap, you, you still got it on your shoe, you know, <laughs> and you still smell it for, for a day. So it, that's what bothers me. So it, again, I will still watch it. I still like it. Um, but it's just, uh, you talk about execution. It just, ugh. yeah. So anyway. We'll right. make you listen to the soundtrack at some. No, point. no, mm-hmm. not gonna. I, no, I really don't want to right now. <laughs> it, it really is the best of the three prequels, course. I disagree. I wholeheartedly disagree with you on that one. And I, uh, I well, okay, we'll have an episode. And no, it's. No. We'll we'll risk the wrath of uh, Lucasfilm's uh, copyright uh, vultures, you know, as they seek through the internet just to have that episode. Anyway, Dave. <laughs> Uh, so, um, 11 for me, I, and I don't have near the, um, negative reaction to this movie that you did, uh, Revenge of the Sith, but, um, Rise of Skywalker. And I just, I don't know what they were trying to do. They don't know what they were trying to do. Oh, I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to just get get you know get off the stage. It's, it's... a good point. <laughs> Without being with the good old Blues Brothers boys band, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, get off the stage without you know paying the bar. Go right. ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I mean, I think we all sort of agree. It's it's sloppy in its execution, but like more unforgivable for me it's it's sloppy and it's ideas um and i i think i think i can still sit down and enjoy it on its own merits um when you talked about that and how like there are certain things about it that we do like um and there are certain things about it that i like a lot um but i just i don't think they had a good plan I don't think they had a coherent plan. I don't think they had good execution of that plan. Um, and it, it just it's just a problematic movie in many ways. Um, and, I, and I'll say this. I would have probably given it more slack if the final battle, if they had stuck the landing at the end, at the very end of the movie. Um but it's kind of like you said, Aaron, like you, you can't help but compare it to something like the end of Endgame. And the, the end of Endgame is epic and a conclusion of, of this, you know, 25 film arc uh, blows your mind. It, well, it, you, it you, meets... care, you care about every single person who's coming out of one of those portals. You're like, yes, yeah. yes. And, you know, all the ships that are coming out of hyperspace, you're like, all right. <laughs> that that other movie meets expectations in in pretty much every way that you would want it to. In in and Rise of Skywalker doesn't. At the end of it, you know, you're like, "All right, uh this is not how I would have done things. Uh I don't know why we're doing this, but I'm willing to go along for the ride uh if it takes us to a really cool 
place at the end. And for me, the, the final battle just felt very uninspired. The payoff so, just wasn't worth the journey. So actually, because we have the same movie at 11, Dave and I, Rise of Skywalker, I'm not going to take as long to repeat what he says. You can totally tell that this is, this feels, and we said it way back when we were talking about it, like two or three movies, Frankenstein together. Like there's a movie that the first half of this of Rice tries to be or wants to be, that's not given enough room to be because it's kind of shoehorned the end of you know the second part of the movie, which is a totally different story, totally you know, a continuation that should have been two hours on its own. It doesn't do anywhere anything nearly enough uh, positive for the characters. I don't, I cannot think of a single character who we met in Force Awakens or Last of Jedi who comes out of this looking rounded, like their journey's complete, more fulfilled. Like you like you may get that, okay, you may say Ray, but even Ray, I feel, gets shortchanged because of the twist. I think, you know, the setup by Force Awakens and the further information we get in Last Jedi, if they have followed that track, would have created a more interesting dynamic in this movie. But their choices mean that all that gets thrown out, so we're having to recalibrate our thoughts and our expectations. But it doesn't do anything with it. It just simply says, "Oh, you're a Palpatine." Well, what does that mean? Well, really, nothing. It it just it's just a setup to something that so that uh, you know we can bring in McDermott back and he can talk to you for a couple of minutes and maybe to get you to trick you to either strike him down or let you kill him or make you join him. And it never knows what it wants to be, and I think that's why it's at the bottom. It it doesn't know whether it's a it wants to talk about the power of corruption, the power of legacy, or whatever. It just it's all over the place. And like you said, I think I think for a lot of these movies in the in our list, like Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, and even Force Awakens, the final battle, or even Return of the Jedi, that final battle brings so much good into it that you almost you can kind of forgive what came before it. And this one doesn't. So, you know, I was, I was thinking about a couple of things as you were talking there. And mm -hmm. one was going back to my marching band days. I've talked about writing marching band drill and you, you, you write a competition show and you write it like we would have three or four pieces of music. And you always knew, you know, each song had its own formations, but it was like, we are going to be building to this one epic climactic point in the fourth this is what i want the drill to do this is what i want the band to be doing at this moment in the fourth tune and you build everything to that everything is designed to that moment you know and you're always thinking okay i'm just even though i'm in song two but i've got to be thinking about what's going on in song four and i've got to set everybody up and the sequel trilogy did not do that they did not do that so i, I when we talk about this you know it's it's not J.J. Abrams' fault. It's not Ryan Johnson's fault. It, it really is. There, we've talked about it a gazillion times. There was nobody. There was no overall vision for where this thing was going. Um, they made three movies and tried to tie it together. And then they, you know, you had, like I said, the End Game at the end, and it's like, yeah, we'll put Wedge in there, and everybody will feel good about it. You know, that type of thing. It's so. Um, yeah, so it, you know, there just was no direct. There was no direction there. Um, 
And well, no, I was I was going to say this, but then and so after I just got done ripping the Revenge of the Sith, at the very least, I will say this: the sequel, the the you know the first sequel trilogy or the prequel trilogy. I'm sorry, the prequel mm -hmm. trilogy. It had a clear arc. Mm -hmm. You knew where things were going. Of course, that was the problem of it is that we knew where things were going. You know, we knew, okay, he's going to turn into Vader. Okay, they're going to, you know, she's going to die. Okay, the twins are going to... But at least you, there was that overall arc that you felt comfortable going from movie to movie to movie. So, I, you know, I will give it that. But uh, you're right. Um, Rise of Skywalker was just a product of poor planning. Anyway. Can't disagree. No, can't disagree with that. That's why it sits at the bottom for me and for Dave. So uh, it'll be interesting. You know, I think this list would change if I if you have me write this list tomorrow. It'd probably be different. Um, that being said, maybe what I maybe I do need to just go watch Revenge of the Sith and you know, you know, just to you know get some bad taste out of my mouth. But uh, um, but no, like I said, but all of these, I you know it is. I I like it. But there's a Star Wars movie on. It's Dave. Your point is very valid. It's like like you said, there's no bad pizza. You know, it's just like, yeah. and it's, and they're also, I think of, you know, Louis Armstrong's quote about music. He said, there's two types of music, good music and bad music. He said, if it makes you tap your toe, it's good music. Don't worry about it. You know, and I think sometimes we overanalyze things. We overanalyze music. And sometimes just like, I just like watching the movie, you know, and if it's a Star Wars movie, I just like watching it because there are lightsabers and there are ships and there's hyperspace and there's, it may, and it makes me feel good. So, you know, doesn't matter if it's the worst Star Wars movie or the best Star Wars movie. Like I said, that being said, Attack of the Clones needs to get a job and Revenge of the Sith needs to go back to college. So, um, but yeah, so if you have your top 11, if you have your ranking and you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, wherever, let us know. Let us know what your top, you know, what your ranking would be. Um, and uh, and argue with us online. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Um, our podcast is on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And um, yeah, so listen to us, share it out. But we want to know your list as well. So um, cool with that. I suppose anything for the good of the order, guys. Anything we want to we missed? Not really. All good. All right. I need to find out why my dogs have been barking all night long. So uh, <laughs> make sure nobody's invaded the house. So other than that, we will say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And uh, let's hope that the, uh, the Saints keep quarantined in Lowe's uh, you know, hotel and keep well. So for that football season, that might or might not happen. But until then, we will see you next week and uh, have a good week. My